Welcome to The New Way, the bite-sized podcast for leaders and executives like you who want to transform their organisation and inspire people to work in new ways. Forget stalled progress and disappointment from upstairs. Each episode, I reveal how to communicate your vision, drive change, and become the leader that everyone loves. No BS or fluff, just the practical info that you need. I'm Dr. Kate Byrne. Get ready for actionable insights, mini execution plans, and game-changing secrets from my 20 years in the trenches, supporting senior leaders to introduce the new way. (laughs) Let's get started. How intentional are you about the content that you're creating to support your change program? Do you know what content you should focus on at different stages on the change journey? Do you even have a content strategy? And if you do, how do you handle it when stuff comes up? Like when a senior leader rushes in really excited about a cool new type of content that they really like the sound of, maybe a colleague of theirs has told them about it. Should you immediately get to work on creating it or not? So many questions about content, and that's why I'm excited to have Matt Fenwick on the show today. Matt is founder and managing director of True North Content, a Canberra-based strategic content consultancy. Matt and his team help government departments, peak bodies and consultancies solve messy communications and content problems. He's a regular conference speaker on content, also on strategy and human-centered design. I really think those things go hand in hand so well. He's presented at TEDx Canberra, UX Australia and CopyCon, and he has also lectured at the Uni of Newcastle, Sydney Uni and University of Canberra. You can see why I'm so excited to pick his brain on all things content. You're about to discover how to decide what content to create to support your change program, why your FAQs are likely a really bad idea, and how to get through the content clearance process without completely decimating the content that you've worked so hard on. And I know that so many change managers know exactly what I'm talking about here. Matt shares so, so many useful tips and practical tools in this conversation. And of course, we link to all the resources that he mentions in the show notes so you can get your hands on everything and start using them today straight away. I know you're going to love this episode. So let's dive in. Hi, Matt. Hey, nice to be with you. (laughs) I'm so happy that we're together because I want us to talk about content and why it's so important. I think that content doesn't get enough airtime in the change management world, in the organisational change space when change leaders, change managers are thinking about it. So I'm excited for us to give it some airtime together. My first question, I want to jump in with why should leaders, change leaders, change managers, people working in change and communications, why should they be thinking intentionally and strategically about content? What can it do for us? Can it help drive behaviour change or anything like that? Yeah, absolutely. Often when we're thinking about change in communication strategies, Kate, tend to stay at a fairly abstract level. So we'll think, what is our intent? What are our key messages? But all of those things are just abstractions until they're actually recorded in content. And so every interaction that the people you want to reach will have with you is going to be mediated through content. So it could be the what people classically think as the comms channels, but it could also be 
talking points that go up to a senior exec. It could be um, guidance that's given to a to a call center. So content is where the value and the meaning that you want to share becomes concrete, usable, and actionable. Yes. Yes. I love that. Thank you for those examples of different kinds of content. I love that. It can be an email. I think, well, I have observed that a lot of change managers' minds who aren't experts at all in communication, they do tend to think about emails as an initial kind of thing and maybe a set of FAQs on an intranet. But I I love that you um, also mentioned talking points scripts and advice to call centers, that there's a huge sea, an ocean full of different kinds of content. What is a content strategy and how does a content strategy work with a communication strategy? I imagine they go hand in hand. Is that right? Look, there's a lot of overlap. And personally, I don't tend to get too hung up on exact definitions. Realistically, if you're doing a communication strategy, it can or should have a huge content component to it anyway. So I think about content strategies specifically as kind of just getting a bit more granular and a little bit more tactical. So again, comm strategies can stay quite high level. Whereas if we're thinking about a content strategy, we're saying, how do we map this specific bit of content to a business need and to an audience need. And so thinking about those things together, you know, it's really, really important. And the way my team and I practice content strategy, we're also very, very interested in the, in the how, not just the what. So a lot of the time we can design a comm strategy and it will have all of the things that you'd expect it to have. But it sometimes doesn't go enough into things like what workflows are we going to need to get this content cleared? What systems are we going to need to resource it? How do we maintain it? How do we measure it? So I guess I would see content strategies being simultaneously a bit more specialised in it. You're really, really zeroing in on content, but also a bit more comprehensive in your thinking about sort of everything that you need to do content well, rather than just what are we going to say? Does that make sense? Yes, I think that really clarifies for me. I love that distinction between it's about going to the next level of the tactics and the logistics around it. That immediately makes me think about approvals and clearance processes. I know I'm jumping around a little bit here, (laughs) but something I have observed a lot is that... um, Someone in a change or a comms team will create, let's say, some talking points or some content for the intranet or scripts for a video or whatever it might be, any, an email, any number of things. And as part of that clearance process inside the organisation, so inside a department, it will go through several levels of clearance, people's bosses checking it. And something that I've observed more than once As that goes through the clearance process, the content changes, sometimes quite dramatically. Sometimes I've seen senior leaders take out their pens and, you know, literally cross things out and re-scribble and rewrite sentences or change specific words. And I've also seen sometimes people 
just remove a lot of the meat of it. And I'm I'm curious, is that something that you've observed as well with, with your team that you see when you're working with clients? And what can we do around that with that workflow of the clearance process to help smooth the way? Yeah, gosh. So we run into this all the time. So we will do messaging strategy, brand strategy, content strategy, and then you'll, you'll have done all of that stuff and people will often go, yeah, that's great. That's amazing. They'll sort of buy into it at a conceptual level. And then when it actually comes to writing the content and getting it cleared is when it gets messy. It's also very much a happy place. Like we love sort of getting our hands dirty and really supporting clients to get content done. So to answer your question, and I'm going to sort of pull it apart a little bit. So the first thing I'd say is that sometimes the review process totally adds value. Like maybe that thing that got cut didn't need to be there in the first place. So there is absolutely opportunity for that process to add value. It is also often where um, things can go awry and where we see it going wrong. um, A couple of scenarios. Number one is where stuff gets shared across teams or across organisational sections and someone will come in and edit it in a way that sort of distorts it or makes it less good. And that could be either stuff will go across to the comms team and they may rewrite it for readability or brand voice and then the technical technical experts would say, well, you've totally changed the meaning and you've mangled it. Conversely, the technical experts will sometimes rewrite stuff that the comms team have done and you've seen it, right? I have seen it, yes. (laughs) So how do you deal with it? So I think there's an element of kind of reading the room and understanding influence, but the way that I tend to think about it is bringing influences on the journey more in terms of the intent of the communication. So you said earlier People will buy into something at the beginning when it's just a concept. Yeah, that's cool. That sounds so exciting. Yes, let's do that. And then they can kind of get cold feet when presented with a draft of it with, you know, here is content where we're moving towards it. I try to create an environment of collaboration in when we're refining stuff. So I try to set it up so that my team and I will have an equal say at the table and not not more of a say because I think it's always about application, the context, but an equal say and that we're co-creating. Is that how you guys approach it as well? Yeah, the idea of bringing two different sets of expertise to the table and both of those having a place is so important and for that place to be defined and understood and One example of that is often we'll have uh, technical expert clearance and then we'll have comms clearance and we'll design a workflow that makes sure that input happens at, you know, at at the right places. But having roles and workflows defined up front helps you because it means that when uh, a subject matter expert wants to completely rewrite the way something sounds, You've got a basis for having a conversation with them around their role, your role, and it like it's always a negotiation. Um, and the other thing I've observed too is that this kind of negotiation works best when it's in real time. 
you know, when you're in a room physically or virtually collaborating on a draft, what I would always advise is, yeah, making the intent super clear. We'd often link that to some design principles that could apply to the information architecture or the content that should be granted in research so that when you've done that work upstream and something is being queried or people want to change it, then you've got something to refer back to. It's not just my opinion versus your opinion, my draft versus versus your draft. Yeah, I love that. I haven't heard of that idea of pair writing before. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, yeah. So it's really, really simple. It is two people collaborating on a draft in real time. And that could be being in a room together or it could be working in a, in a cloud document. And typically you'll have someone who's quite close to it, who's the subject matter expert, and you'll have someone else who might be a comms person or a change person. And often we think that complex problems require complex solutions. But I have observed um, pair writing totally changed the dynamic in organisations that we've worked with and that we've uh, delivered this as training for. And just one example, we were working with a large Australian government department and uh, our client was the, the comms team in this case. And there was another business area that, you know, relationships were, um, you know, positive and polite, but often a bit fraught and it, they'd often kind of butt heads. And so, I went in and I delivered a four-hour pair writing training session for them. And at the end of that, the comms manager said to me just quietly, you know, I realised that those people are people too. This is a business area she'd been working alongside for years and doing four hours of just actually collaborating on something together, it gets you away from the us and them, uh, which I think can plague any kind of clearance process you know, where it gets competitive or suspicious or siloed. Yeah, I agree. Oh, that sounds like such a cool technique. And I love that take. I agree. Complex problems don't need complex solutions. Sometimes simple solutions are going to be the best ones. We will absolutely link to information about pair writing in the show notes for sure. I want to come back to content. Something I'm curious about is when an organisation is trying to introduce new ways of working, because that's what organisational change is. It doesn't matter if it's a new IT system, new values and behaviours, moving to, you know, activity-based working rather than having everyone having their own desks or any other kind of change. It's about a new way of working. Are there specific kinds of content that are must-have? Do you think that there's some stuff that we just can't do without? Yeah, I mean, intranet content would be the really, really obvious one. And we know, you know, every time we do an intranet project or we're, we're doing um, comms supporting a wider change project, we'll often do a channel preference survey, like just how do people like to receive information? And number one is always, I want someone to tell me, you know, uh, but where I see intranet coming in is supporting those conversations and giving people a place that they can refer back to. The email one is super interesting and it's it's often the go-to. And what we often see is organisations will have this mindset of, well, we've told people, we've put it in an email, therefore they know. And there's so much to unpack there. We often see that in a complex organisation, perhaps with multiple change projects going on at the same time, 
people get email fatigue. It's also a fairly bad format for refindability, unless people are really, really good with filing their emails, which I'm not. Inbox zero is a mythical concept as far as I'm concerned. Um, but so email needs to happen, but often when we're doing like intranet uh, content strategy, information architecture, we'll think really carefully about what the interplay between email and the internet needs to be. Two other things I'd just call out real quickly, like two other formats. Number one is news. And gosh, for comms teams, news is a go-to because I think we still have a kind of an underlying PR paradigm. The issue with news is that it's, again, it's not super good for refindability or for giving context around information, like being able to design navigation flows where you go here and then you go to this other thing. It tends to be discrete pieces that don't necessarily connect in with other things. So again, we need to have it. People expect to have it, but it shouldn't be the go-to. And then if you will bear with me, can I do FAQs? Can I please do FAQs? Oh, please. Yes, I want to talk about FAQs. Yeah. So every year, Kate, I'll start a little fight on LinkedIn where I'll be like, you know, FAQs shouldn't really be a thing. And there's invariably people who will respond, yes, they should, and we'll have a discussion. I'll give you the reasons why they're usually a bad idea. And if people have an experience where they have worked, then please get in touch with me because I'm super open to being challenged and being wrong as well. But so here it is. Number one, they tend to be very unstructured. So it tends to be just a big, long collection of things that isn't really organised by a category particularly. And so what that does for users, we know this from um, doing a lot of user research, is that people don't actually care how frequently the question is asked. They just want the answer to their question. And so if you make them go to FAQs, then they'll have to scroll through a lot of information to find what they need. And also FAQs are often buried in a PDF or buried on a website. Whereas what we know, again, from user research is that people want their questions answered at the place that it arises. Like, when they're having a conversation with their manager or when they're reading about the new IT system rollout. So we would always advise starting with answering questions right then and there. If you've given people context, it is totally cool to have a couple of question and answers within the the context. We're just saying don't use FAQs as a dumping ground. Matt, I'm a believer in the no FAQs. I agree with you. You mentioned some user research. You've actually got data to back it up. They are a bad idea. Everything you've said, I, my experience absolutely aligns with. If you're getting your content right, there's very little need for them. FAQs can be very targeted. There probably is a space and a time, as you said, have a couple. But that whole long list of just a brain dump of stuff and the answers, it doesn't need to be that way. Your intranet does not need to be that way. (laughs) It puts all of the effort on the user to make sense of it, you know. Whereas if we have good content formats to find some templates that we can use, we can make it really easy for people and make it easy for us as well. Yes, thank you. I'm so glad we're on the same page with that. So sometimes 
I or other other people I know, other change managers and comms people I know, they have heaps of ideas for content. They've, you know, they can see a world where a bunch of different stuff should be useful. How should we decide what to focus on first? Yeah, good question. So, I mean, this is where we would think about like how a content strategy actually helps an organisation. And you know, if you're working on a change project, time, budget, attention are not limited. So a good content strategy will give you permission to say no, you know, to absolutely have the calendar for all of the things that you're going to put out there, but equally have a basis for taking some of those ideas and saying, actually, we're not going to do that because what we have defined in our, you know, in the business goals, in the audience needs, we know that this is going to be more important and deliver more value. And so my team and I have designed a framework called the North Star Framework, which again, we'll put it in show notes, but it really came out of exactly that scenario that you described, Kate, where some of our clients were almost feeling oppressed by options you know, having all of these things that they could be doing and feeling a little bit bewildered, overwhelmed, often under-resourced. So the North Star framework, really simply, it says all of our comms should meet a user need. So this is something that a person out there in the world or in the workplace needs to do. It should also be meeting a business need. So this is the goal for the organisation or perhaps for this specific change program. And then we look at what the organisation is resourced to do. And so that's what we have time, budget, systems to do. And then we'll look at unique value. And that's what are the other sources of information out there that already exist. And when we're talking about a change piece, we'll be thinking about potentially other sources of information. So say if you're doing an IT rollout, could they be getting information from the vendor as well? We're also thinking about all of the other sources within the organisation already exist. And that includes, you know, their their peers, what what content has already been produced. And so everything that you do should ideally fall at the intersection of those four criteria. And then what you gain from that and what we've seen with some of our clients is really clear prioritisation. And it's also a tool that you can use to have conversations up the line, you know, with senior stakeholders to say, this idea, where does it fall on the priorities? So it's really structuring that decision-making process so that people can focus on what's going to deliver the most value. Oh, we are definitely going to link to that resource, your framework in the show notes for folks to dive into. That sounds very, very useful. And that last comment you made just at the end there about using that as a tool to kind of manage up the line. Ooh, that's really relevant, isn't it? I'm sure we've all had an experience of the senior leader or the director, whoever it might be, your client coming in and saying they had a conversation with someone from another department or another organisation and they did X, Y, Z and so maybe we should do X, Y, Z and that framework sounds like a really great tool to be able to use to kind of remove the emotion of that conversation. It's not about the personal value of that person and the ideas they're having, but it's about, you know, what works with these considerations. You could do it in a in a workshop or equally if you're just sitting down with them, you can do it on a scrap of paper. But as you're saying, Kate, it takes the idea and puts it in physical space. It means that you can map it against different criteria rather than it being my opinion versus your opinion. 
Oh, such a valuable tool. I'm excited to go check that out myself and we'll definitely link to it. I feel like we could actually talk all day long, but I, I see that I've kept you for a while now. So I'd love to know how can people who are interested, they've listened to this and they're interested in keeping the conversation going with you, how can they get in contact? Best place is uh, LinkedIn. So we'll put links to my profile in the show notes. Uh, you can also shoot me an email, matt at truenorthcontent.com.au. We have a website that we're currently redoing, but uh, we'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. Just any questions about websites, internet, information architecture, content strategy, really happy to chat with folks. I know that your toolkit is overflowing with this kind of stuff. So I really appreciate you sharing some of it with us today. Thank you so much. Absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.